evening and welcome to Football Bloody Hell. show tonight we've got Mr. Paul Thorpe, Hilda Pryor, Steve Rutter, Ricky Hyatt and little old me. So sit back and enjoy some good old football banter. We'll try not to come to blows. So here we go with more football bloody hell. Well, good evening, everybody. Uh, welcome to Football Bloody Hell. Only uh, three of us tonight. Um, Hilda's gone running. I mean, who in their right mind would want to go running in temperatures like we got today? Sad, really. Definitely lost the plot, but there we go. That's that's Hilda for you, you know. But anyway, we have got Mr. Paul Thorpe with us. Evening, Paul. Good evening. Good to see you. In these these wild temperatures that you mentioned. Yeah, you're you're looking very chilled there. I must admit. And uh, Steve Rutter's with us. Hi, Steve. How you doing? I'm very good, thank you. I'm, I'm just recovering from uh, Thorpe's daughter's wedding at the weekend. All right, yeah. And if you think if you think running in this heat is silly, you should have seen Thorpe's dancing in this heat. <laughs> oh, I'd, I'd rather not even think about that. <laughs> <laughs> the mind boggles. Yeah, I'm oh, sure it yeah. does. Yes, yes, never mind, anyway. Some of the great old 70 moves were right out on Saturday. Oh, classic, mate, classic. And your trousers as well. Yeah. <laughs> well, what, 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 what can you say, really? The prospect is, is, is quite shattering, really, isn't it, when you think about it? But, uh, <laughs> so did the wedding go well, then, uh, Port Thorpe? It went phenomenally well. And uh, well, let's not leave some of the uh, the, the moves just the one party. Steve was equally giving it some some good uh, John Travolta stuff as well. Oh, oh right. And uh, were you the proud daddy, of course? I suppose you were. Yeah, it was absolutely. absolutely. It was a fantastic day, fantastic event. Everything went to plan. You know, we had a couple of surprises. We had the old singing waiters there and uh, they did a, a fantastic job. And, um, yeah, everything went to plan. Good. I didn't have too many melt meltdowns. Just uh, <laughs> uh, not you, too bad at all. You and having yeah meltdowns—they don't go together, really, do they? Not really. Let's be honest. 
Yeah, well, when it's your children, it's different, isn't it? Yeah, of course it is. There we go. Anyway, football, boys, football. Um, I'm sure as both of you ex-professionals, you've done many a uh, pre-season, and I'm sure you must have some really interesting little stories to tell us, because obviously Yeovil have started their their pre-season build-up. They they played um, Sherbourne behind closed doors last week and beat them 4-0. But obviously, just on cue, the weather's suddenly gone really hot. So having to really exert yourself is going to be extremely hard work, I would have thought. So, you know, what's it like, Paul? Uh, like you said, extremely hard work. I mean, sometimes you, you, you're not sure where your next breath is coming from. Um, uh, you, you have to really look after your body. You have to get hydrated, especially in these, these weathers. I mean, remember... Um, at our most successful time down at Yeovil, we used to travel up to uh, Andover, where there was a um, athletics track, and um, we did quite an extensive one, wasn't it, Steve? It was uh, like it was like uh, fifteen hundred, eight hundred. There was like uh, I think it was ten four hundreds, ten two hundreds, was it? And uh, so, with that in mind, you have to, you know, um, just be mindful of looking after your body and seeing if you can get through it as best you can, and. You know, because as as they, they never get any easier, and um, but then what you what you get out of it at the end is is really fantastic, and um, you know you you if you can then you can hit the ground running, and um, you know you, you you become that little bit sharper, and not you know the, sometimes the hardest uh, pre seasons I ever had were sometimes were some of the best, like, you know. But, um, so it's certainly interesting. I mean, like Steve Steve used to you know. Because he's a very good runner, he used to love a good hill. He used to crucify me, <laughs> so uh, it, was, it was never the easiest. Like, but um, but then you always got a lot out of that, a lot of driving your thighs in. So there was a, there was reasons for his madness, like you know. But um, yeah. But Steve, is there not a tendency these days for managers to uh, concentrate more on ball work than it is on on pure out and out fitness? Yeah, I, I think it depends on the level you go at. To be honest, because. When you get to the top level now, everything, absolutely everything, he's worked out on individual VO2 max, their lactate tolerance thresholds, all this scientific stuff. Yeah. Um, and they will modify individual training programs. The issue is, you know, when you come down the lower levels and you've got less resources, you go back to, like, your human nature, you know, the, the, the skill of your eye watching it. I know Tony Poulis was a great one. He said sports science is brilliant, but only to support his views on what was, you know, what players needed to do rather than taking over. Um, but a lot of it now is ball-related stuff. It's timed. You know, the, the rest periods are, are set in advance. Um, the sports scientists have got people with heart rate monitors on. So they, they monitor every minute, and then they'll say, right, we need to lower the intensity. So there's a lot more goes into it now. But we're talking about stories of people running up hills. We did, when I was at Yeovil, we did one where we went out to... Um, Oh, just at the bottom of Ham Hill, Stokes of Hamden, and we used the wreck there, and we did some we did some ball work, a big game of like handball, um, and a lad called Nick Flory, who played for us at the time, he actually got knocked over by the man cutting the grass on a ride on lawnmower. <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't he couldn't see he couldn't see thirty six. Was playing handball and just drove straight through the middle. So, so that breached the health and safety rules. Yeah, <laughs> we ran to the we ran to the top of Ham Hill. And split them up into three groups, and we had them doing different exercises and running protocols and things. And I, I was sort of timing them with the physio and that. And we watched them disappear off behind a hill, and eight of them went behind the hill. 
and six came out the other side. <laughs> and when they went back, six went behind the hill and eight came out the other side. So obviously it was the goalkeepers who were cheating. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's, there's some great stuff around pre-season. But, but like Paul says, it's that time of year where everybody's full of beans, everybody's excited um, and you, you get a real good sweat on. And when you come off, you think to yourself, yeah, that was brilliant. But these days, though, they've got these um, GPS things that they go in the, in the back of the shirts and what have you. And um, I, I presume that these heart monitor type things are sort of, are they sort of Wi-Fi or Bluetooth or something onto a, yeah. somebody with a computer going? Um, yeah. I mean, how did they cope with all that or without all that in the early days? I mean, you know, when we're going back to when you were doing it, Paul. Well, we just didn't have it. I mean, it was just something different. We didn't know any different back those days. You know, like for us, we knew that the start was going to be, you know, extensive. You had to come back fit. You had to come back, you know, I used to run on, run on holiday and uh, get some, like, uh, beach work in because, you know, the, the sand is draining on the calves and the thighs and that's what you needed before you started your pre-season. Hmm. You know, um, you know I, I think I said before, like, uh, once that um, we turned up at the 16th. It was You asked the question, didn't you? When was the earliest you started back pre-season? It was 16th of June. It was the earliest. We started back in, in, in like, uh, a Trowbridge town. And we were absolutely, you know, uh, welcomed with uh, an area that he'd flooded right down the far corner. It was absolutely bulky as anything. You know, and then uh, we were in there doing sit-ups and knees to the chest. and So it's just a different way of working. Like you see now, they've got the sports science in there, they've got GPS... You know, Steve used to work on probably, you know, his, his, his mileage or meters of running on each certain, where he'd know he'd, he'd like, he, Steve would probably do an intense one, then he'd lower it down, then he'd pick it up again. So your heart rate is being, like, um, shocked in a way. And you're probably then getting more more out of um, the sessions, like, you know. Mm. And, of course, Steve, you know, where he's been coaching around the world and his knowledge over the years is unprecedented. Um, and I don't think that there's anybody in uh, non-league football uh, with the knowledge that Steve uh, has got, you know, and um, that's why he's picked for those fantastic jobs travelling around the world. So, but, it, you know, it is, is um, in those days, listen, you know, Bristol City, we used to use Ashton Court Country Club, you know, where we used to run around the golf course and then we'd run back, you know, the last two had to run back to the Ashton, in Ashton Gate as well. You know, back those days, we used to do the 60-second lap you know, we used to run up and down the Dolman stand doing one step at a time, which I'll tell you how is, you know, is, is a real burner on the thighs as well. You know, and then back for a 60-second lap, and then you'd probably do that five or six times. And then you'd eventually get the, back to, like, you know, playing football five or size, then, then building up to your, your games. And, and, and then you knew that after sort of two or three weeks, the games were going to come, and that's what, you know, when we all of a sudden come alive, You've done your hard dog work, you know, and then all of a sudden what you're really about is playing uh, games of football and that's when you start getting excited again because you know you have to do... It's almost like get your head down and get through this this first two, three weeks and then... Um, and it was just a different way of, of doing it, you know. And, uh, you know, I remember when the first ice baths came in, like, you know, I was absolutely shocked, shocked and mm. you know, horrified at what we had to do, like, you know. But, yeah. you know, and then all of a sudden just different coaches bring in different ways and then some coaches just do away with it and say, look, I think Darren Soles were though. I'm not interested in sports science. This is how I do it. But it works. And he's got his theory. You know, Steve will obviously, like, you know, where they go, they probably have 
four, I expect four or five coaches yeah. in this team. I mean, the biggest, yeah, the, biggest, the biggest difference really, Paul, isn't it, is that historically, like you were saying, like you'd go and you'd do a 60-second lap. And for some people, that would be really easy. And like Richard Evans, I don't know if you remember Richard Evans. Yeah. He was, I yeah. Mean, he's yeah. now worked with Roberto Martinez with Belgium and Swansea and everything. He's head of sports science for the Belgium FA. And Rich was one of those unusual physical specimens who could sprint, but could also run distance indefinitely. Mm. Could just keep running, running, running. Yeah. So he could do a 60-second lap in, in 45 seconds, and everybody would pat him on the back, but his heart rate would be about 70% of its max. Whereas yeah. someone like you thought well, you'd come in, wouldn't you? You'd, you'd probably do oh. it in 58 seconds, oh. but you'd be at like, you, you know, your maximum heart rate's 220, and you'd be at 220 because of your size. Yeah. And people would say, oh, come on, Thorpe, you get a move on. And all that's happened now is that rather than it being like a standardised thing for everybody, the heart rate monitors and the bleep test and all this stuff, I think it's, it's a chance just to individualise the training programmes a bit more. But the answer to your question, Aidan, in the old days, was you used to do it by experience and just by looking at people. If they were sweating a lot and were out of breath and were on their knees, they were probably working quite hard. Yeah. yeah. But, but I mean, you, you, you travel around the world and doing this. I mean, is, is there a, a different approach of, you know, say in... in uh, um, Dubai or Saudi Arabia or you know those oh. sort of next to the woods. I mean, how do they do it there? Well, I mean, obviously I worked in Greece in a football season, so the other place I've been is more been sort of like coach ed. But in Greece, I went the last season, the season that just finished. I went direct from Riyadh where I was doing coach ed. It was fifty degrees to Agrinio where it was forty-two degrees, and that's exceptionally hot. So you so you're changing your protocols. Aren't so much what you do; it's when you do it. Mm. So in a green area, we'd train at like 8 o'clock in the morning and 7 o'clock at night because you can't train at 2 o'clock in the afternoon no. just because of the temperature and the, and the humidity, etc. But ironically, if you go to Japan, they have this wonderful expression, which is the hardest steel is made in the hottest furnace. So mm. they will train at the hardest at the peak of the, of the temperature <laughs> because their view then is anything subsequent to that is going to be easier. And the skill in that, obviously, is managing it and making sure they hydrate properly and they get enough rest in between sessions. But they will push it to the max during the hottest part of the day. Yeah. Mm, interesting. And, um, I mean, is there a sort of a eureka moment when, you, when you've been doing all this for, I don't know, say 10 days or something, and suddenly you can just you get up in the morning and you know you're there, you've reached that sort of crescendo of, of fitness and now you're ready to roll. I mean, is there, is there a sort of a moment when it hits you? Well, yeah, the, the, body, the, the body, the body generally, generally used to hurt like back. Actually, mm. like the, I think really, realistically, is the, the answer to that question. I don't know where Steve agrees. Like, is the fact that I found it once I got my match fitness. You know, because you can do all the running in the world, but it's the sharpness, the twisting, the turning. You know, the reaction speeds to to trying to defend against a faster player. Um, you know, I'm reading the game a bit more. But once you have the, the physical ability to be able to do that, you know, then that, that's that eureka moment. Like, right, I'm now there. I'm ready to go for the rest of the season. And, um, you know, at, at, at a pace that you needed to do for the level of football you, you were going to play at. Because, you know, all different levels have their different fitnesses. You sort of see that when, you know, like a, a apprenticeship player team plays like a first division or a league one team, like, you know. You know, they, they are just generally that little bit fitter, sharper, because um, because the sports science is probably there and, 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 the, and the, they've done maybe a longer pre-season than what maybe a League One team would do. Well, bearing in mind, you've reached that point. So now you say, right, you're fit for the rest of the season. I mean, 
do you have to sort of top it up? I mean, I know you top it up anyway when you're, you're training and what have you, but I mean, you know, is there any specific fitness type element of the training that you do just a little bit each day just to keep it all topped up? Absolutely. You've got to. I, I would say, do you, do you know, I, people ask me this question and my answer to it is, I actually think that sometimes non-league players are more dedicated than professional footballers because professional footballers, one, they're pampered the hell right now. Right now. You know, they only got to worry about football. You know, in the non-league game, you've got to go and do your day's work. You've then got to, like, get home. You know, you've got to get keep yourself hydrated, keep yourself fueled up. Then you go and do your two, two and a half, three hours training, you know, and then you go, you know, you do through the process again. I mean, when I when I was at Yeovil, I generally used to, like, do possibly a five or six-mile run on a Monday. Tuesday night was Yeovil Town training, which was generally a more physical style uh, of, of like training. I do the the road run again on on the Wednesday. Sometimes with like a back those days again, it's all changed with a a, a, a black bin bag over me because I was all obviously not the you know the slightest of persons, not lucky like Steve, burning fat as quickly as possible. Well, I suppose you felt you, know, you, you, you owed that to the public, didn't you? If you're going to be running around the streets with you know put a black bin bag on, I, th I think that's a generous way of, of treating it, really. <laughs> so, but then, then on the Thursday night we'd go back to Yellow Town train again. Friday, we we go through the obviously the, the, the technical stuff on the Thursday. Um, Friday night you've got get plenty of rest and get a decent uh, meal inside you. Saturday, probably in Yeovil, we used to actually go in on a Saturday morning, Steve, didn't we? Like, and then do like set play, how we're we going to set up and players to watch. And because uh, Brian Hall was probably, you know, probably the far in advance of, of most managers at that yeah, stage. Miles ahead of his time. Yeah, miles ahead of his time, you know. Um, I mean, we used to like know everything about every single player. And you'd think he was a bit mad. He'd say, the left, left back is left footed, watch him because he likes to come inside and. You know, he probably takes all that. He might take an extra touch or whatever. So you can press him a bit more. He was so far ahead of his time, you know. And then um, then you get your warm down on a Sunday, which you just go for a light jog. I, mean, I used to go do a bit of aerobics for the missus. And um, and then you're back to the routine on Monday again, Tuesday. So, you, you know, you you are you are an absolute athlete, you know. And I'll tell you now, going and running with Steve is, is not the easiest thing in the world because he, he, he likes to... Uh, grind it into the big fella and make it real hard <laughs> but it, but it's good for me it's good yeah. for me because I knew that if I went running with Steve I knew that I was going to be pushed to the max and I knew that it would hurt but the benefits that I got that out of that as a bigger larger player you know um, was was immense mm. you know and it probably helped keep me at Yeovil Town for a little bit, bit longer yeah I mean, the, the, the diagnostics now Ed, it's, it's Individual players are like Formula One racing cars. Yeah. So they'll be a they'll train. There'll be a loading recorded on what their training load has been for the day. They'll have recorded the amount of high speed runs they do, how many sprints they do, how many eccentric loading on the muscles. So when you're trying to stop and the muscles are, are, are getting shorter but tightening up, um, they'll work out how you know, all sorts how long they've been in the red zone, which is the you know the danger zone as they class it. Um, and then based on that, they'll modify the individual training programs for players. So a player might come in, he might have played 90 minutes, but not been in the red zone in the 90 minutes. And the S&C coaches, the fitness people will say, all right, he does a recovery session, but then on Tuesday he needs to do extra work. He needs to do 10 times 60 metre sprints flat out. 
or whatever it is, you know, whatever they, they decide is the bit that's missing. But players now are treated, all, as I say, like Formula One racing cars. Every single aspect of their physical performance is analysed and then the programme is adjusted to make sure they get the balance right. Um, well, you know, which is, which is how they get them to play 58, 60 games a season. Yeah. Well, we've managed to go 20 minutes on this and I haven't mentioned Manchester United yet, but I'm going to do it now because I've been reading oh. in the paper that um, Eric Ten Hag is apparently trying to, if you like, set the example by doing everything that he's expecting his players to do. Is that an unusual attitude, way of doing it? Or did you find a lot of managers would get involved like that? Yeah. Why, does he, why does he want to do what the players are doing? They're not going to do what he's going to do. I don't know. I'm just, football, I don't know. I'm just going by what I read in the paper. That's all. I think he's a lucky man at his age to be able to do that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was yeah. thinking yeah. that. Carlo Ancelotti stands on the sideline and smokes a cigar. So, um, I yeah. don't know. I, no, I've never heard of a man... I mean, a few years ago, like I'm sure people like Wayne Rooney, when he went into Derby County, I'm sure he joined in the Rondo and the Fiverside and was probably the best player yeah. in the Fiverside. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure Zola, the, the players, when they first come out of the game, they find it very hard to become coaches rather than stay, stay as players. They want to be in the sessions all the time. Mm. Someone like him, I would have thought, he's, he's probably better than that and cleverer than that. He doesn't need to be going in there doing the shuttle runs and stuff. Because that's not his job. His job is to make sure that the people that are running that are running it properly and that he's got the players in the building that want to do the job for him when, when the season starts. And not just doing the job properly, but, I mean, you know, as you said, you want them ready. I mean, there is one objective here, getting the team absolutely fit so that they can stuff Liverpool on the first game they play. Yeah. Paul said, alluded earlier to match fitness. Even mm. your pre-season friendlies don't give you the match fitness. There's something about the emotion of a proper competitive game where every physical action takes a little bit more out of you because the stress that goes along with the event. Um, and a lot of t clubs will say to you, you know, they're not really hitting their peak until October time. Maybe mm. mm. up to that. They'll win and lose a few, and that's why teams don't necessarily start the season brilliantly and just keep going. Yeah. If teams start the season well, they normally dip a little bit because they've peaked too early. And it's the ones that just keep going and going and going and, and get better and better. And a lot of them, I say, won't really feel like they've hit their peak until about October time, I would have thought. Well, you've got to remember as well, Harry. Yeah. Harry, just on that, on that factor, you've got to remember as well, you know, it's not just about, like, you've got all these fantastic players coming into the football club. It's not just about them turning up and then thinking, oh, it's just going to change like that. You know, he's got to know... Uh, he's bringing in players that he knows hmm. or what he, think, you know, he know, thinks he knows. Right now, he's going to see those players playing at the top level at the top speed of what the Premiership gives you, and that's why his global product is so highly thought of because it's you know it's, it, it goes every country wants to watch it. Mm. Now he's going to find out what those players are going to be like. Then he's got to knit those players into the way he wants to play, and hopefully he can get what's the percentage, Steve? Seventy-eight percent. How, uh, of, of, of like um, they work on this. It's up around the late 70s. Well, yeah, I mean, the interesting thing for him will be that I've had a season in the Eredivisie in the top division in Holland, and the level of the games and the intensity is nowhere near Premier League level. Mm. Nowhere near. No. So it's so he's going to have to learn what a Premier League player looks like for a 38-week season. Now, I'm sure he's done loads of research. He's a very clever man. I'm sure he's, he's looked at all the stats and figures. But there's nothing like actually being there and seeing it and feeling it to know what it you know to know what it is. So I think it's, it's quite an interesting chat. I think this year for him, I think if they stick with him, he'll do well. 
But I think this year they probably have to say, hey, look, get your feet under the table, get a feel for it, get to know the standards, get to know the level of competition, what's needed. Because people like um, Anthony, if they sign the, the boy from, from there, or uh, Lisandro Martinez, the centre-back, they'll have to step up another level in physicality week in, week out, yeah. playing the Premier League yeah. from what yeah. they used to. Hmm. Um, and that's hard. That's physically yeah. hard on the that body. That's a big demand. That's a massive demand. You know, you're coming into the biggest league in the world, undoubtedly. You know, and these players are going to be all of a sudden, their body is going to like feel nothing like it's ever felt before because it's uh, you know they've been playing at a slower pace. But uh, Mane going to Germany is going to be playing at a slower pace. Mm. You know, you can probably say like he's already won the championship, really realistically. Because the demands are not, you know, as much as it's a great league, and I'm not saying it's not a good league, but the physical demands of the Premiership, right, and the Championship are so tough, you know, at the Championship's even more, they play more games, yeah, you know, and, and, that, and that, that is a brutal league, that is, you know, you find there's lots of Premiership footballers, they go down to the Championship, and they think, oh, I'm just dropping down a level, then all of a sudden they find out what it's really about, and they find it tough. Yeah, you know, I remember Cranshaw going going down level from top uh, Tottenham. Did he go to QPR, Steve? Cranshaw, yeah, not exactly yeah. cut out for the championship. There was it to well, be fair. No, no, be, yeah, but that's what I mean. It, it shone yeah. out like a, a sort of you know, yeah. sort of turn, didn't it? It, yeah. it just wasn't really there for it because the physical demands of the championship possibly is even more than it is in the blooming Premiership. That's well, why it's so exciting. I mean, there's an awful lot said about mental health and, and, and the whole sort of mental aspect of it. Well, presumably there's a certain mental aspect of the of the pre-season. And if you've got a game lined up, your first game of the pre-season is against Liverpool. Now, last season, Liverpool worked it up United twice. Now, from, from the United point of view, obviously they're going to want to reverse that, even though it's only a friendly... But is it is it wise to get? I mean, because if they get beaten again, they're going to be starting off the season on a bloody negative straight away. Is, would you have done that, or would you just go for some sort of middle of the road teams and and just build up your match fitness as you went along? I think I think you're missing the point. It's not their choice as a coach to <laughs> make those those fixtures. That's gone down onto the marketing people yeah. who mm. said, "Where can we make the most money?" Yeah. in our pre-season commitments and still give you some value in the games that you play. So they'll take a mixed squad and he'll play some players, he'll leave some out and the result yeah. won't matter diddly squad. But no, no. Mm. You're not, that, that team that he puts out against Liverpool will be nothing even close to what he's going to do in the Premiership. Well, as presumably, remember, the Liverpool team will be different as well then by that. Yeah. Oh, cool. Just, just but, on that, I went to do a coaching course once at Chelsea and I was in there with one of the other fellows from the FA, and Mourinho came in. It was the second time he'd been at Chelsea. He'd just got back. Mm. And he came into the canteen. He was really friendly. He really spoke to everybody. He spoke to us as well. And sat on the table, had a bit of lunch, and was talking to us about there. They'd planned a 13-day trip to Thailand because they were sponsored by Samsung, I think it was. Yeah. They landed back in England for three days, and then they went to Los Angeles. So you've got a 13-hour time difference one way, come back for three days, and then they've got like a nine-hour time difference the other way. And, and he said himself, he said it's an absolute shambles of a pre-season. For a manager, it's a nightmare when you're at that level because your development of your squad comes second to the commercial interests of the club. Yeah. And yeah. that's the problem they have to deal with. And that's why they have big squads with expensive players and lots of them. Mm. Yeah. yeah. But then surely, I mean, 
Ken, uh, Hen, what's his name? Ten Hag, as as he seems to be, um, I wouldn't say laying down the law, but he seems to be quite demanding, shall we say, in in what he's going to the board for. Or I mean, unless they've already arranged when he got the job, I suppose would he not have any say on it at all? You don't think then? Where, where they got Thailand? Is it? Thailand and then Australia. Thailand and Australia are playing. I think they're playing Western Sydney Wanderers. No, 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 sorry, Melbourne Victory, aren't they? They're playing Aston Villa. Yeah, Crystal Palace. Chris, you think he picked those games? Well, <laughs> I don't not know. in a million years. Mm. Not in a million years. No, that, well, would, that would have been arranged eight months, nine months ago by the commercial people who were lining yeah. up the next payday and then saying to him, "Work your pre-season around these commercial commitments that we've got." Hmm. So the, oh, the commercial, by the way. You've got to keep Cristiano Ronaldo and play him because we've promised the sponsors you'll play in the pre-season friendly against Melbourne Victory or, or whoever it is they've promised you'll play against. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was See, there's, gonna, there's I was, two sides of the there's two sides of the club, isn't there? Because the commercial side will be really pushing for all, all that, and they'll be like praying Ronaldo yeah. doesn't go because that's the biggest draw they've got. Yeah. You know, and then the, then the managers go and say, "What are you doing that for?" It doesn't matter what he's doing; it's happening. But yeah. he's the one who's going to be getting the chop at the end of it if it doesn't work out. Yeah. And I'll say to him, if you want another hundred million to spend on players, we've got to generate it from somewhere, and we generate yeah. it by doing this. Mm. So shut up and get on with it. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. And um, of course, Ronaldo throwing this uh, uh, spanner in the works by saying he's not going, and I suppose he's obviously pulled the stroke. Well, I'd say pulled the stroke, but because uh, nobody could really understand what it's like to lose a child, I should think, like he did. But I assume that's what it's all kind of about. But uh, from the sponsors' point of view, I should think there's a few jumping up and down a little bit uh, upset about that. Absolutely. Uh, and that'll be the biggest... That's the problem he's dealing with at this moment in time. If Ronaldo yeah. wants to leave and the sponsors don't want him to, then you're going to have a... He's got his first big headache. Yeah. Clash between the football operations of the club and the commercial operations of the club. Hmm. Have you not made a statement yesterday about Ronaldo? He just he said he's not for team, sale. He? Yeah. He's he said he's not, not for sale. Yeah. Then he's not for sale. Yeah. Yeah. It's simple as that because he's got him in a contract. So if he's got in Den Haag saying he's not play, you know, he's not leaving, he ain't leaving. Unless mm. he throws his toys out the brand, really, and says, I'm not playing, yeah. you know, and then and then tries the player power, then 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 they've got he's got his second headache. And then he's probably his third headache. So it's not gonna be easy. Today Today's um, professional footballer is so different to what it used to be in our, in our, in our day. You know? mm. And um, uh, so it's, um, excuse me. There you go. Uh, yeah. So I just carry on a minute. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's a nightmare, eh? Because, mm. like, if you had a choice, you would go in early, you would plan your pre-season how you want it. And, and different people do different things. I, I know coaches who literally want to get as many pre-season games in as possible and they use that as their training program so they'll play 10 12 pre-season games and use all the squad to give them as much game time as possible because they think it's the best way to replicate game play is to play games that's yeah their, that's their i know others who are very very rigid on they want lots and lots of no ball contact lots of running core endurance stuff um, stability work all that sort of stuff before they touch a ball they won't touch a ball for two weeks and I know a lot of other coaches from the continent who the first time the, book, the session starts, the balls come out. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it, a lot depends on your upbringing and the things that you liked and the things that you think worked. Um, and then obviously you've got all the, the sports scientists and that all trying to sell their little bit as well. Um, 
and then most clubs what you end up doing is accommodating all of it but yeah. the more experienced you are and the, and the more control you've got in the club the easier it is for you to, to put down the programme that you want to put down Talking about Yeovil Town now, we move on from the, the pre-season. Um, they did have this first game against Sherbourne Town, which, OK, is not exactly a, a, a major power in football, with great respect to Sherbourne. Um, what, what, I know we haven't seen any players yet, especially the new ones that have come in, but are there any? is there any one player that you boys are looking forward to seeing playing for Yeovil next week, next season? Lionel Messi. <laughs> I've got news for you, pal. He's not coming. <laughs> oh, he does. Oh, right. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, they couldn't quite. Afford, they couldn't quite afford him then. No, 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 no. I've no. not. I've not got used to the uh, the names yet. But it, the, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the two young strikers. Yeah. You know, I've heard they're. I've heard they're pacey. Um, they're hungry for it. Um, I think that Chris is looking uh, through talking to Tony Pounder a, a certain type of of um, attitude. Yeah. The right attitude type of player at this football club, you know, and we hopefully we've got we've got that. But I'm looking forward to seeing the two young strikers. I do think they need a little bit of experience up there, which I think that he was looking for. But yeah, I think they've got pace. I thought we needed pace up front. Um, so that yeah, I'm looking forward to the new strike striking force. So uh, that could be exciting, you know. And hopefully, if we can keep the clean sheets. Um, which I think that we need to do more of. Um, you know, I think that see, going back to our day as well, Brian Hall used to have a great saying, you know, and I think I've said it a couple of times, but um, he used to have a saying, we'll win this game nil-nil. Uh, didn't he, Steve? Like, and, you know, and it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting thought. I thought, what the hell is he on about at the start? But what he means basically is that he believes that if we're solid at the back and we're well solid through the team as our defensive side of it, then we will get a chance, and I think that we've got the quality of player to win that game. You know, generally, that's what happens, Steve, wasn't it? We were really, really hard to beat. I think when we won the championship, I think that our goal tally was only around about 20, wasn't it, Steve? What, when, the Rhino League? Yeah. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember. But, I mean, yeah, were, if you looked around the side, we didn't have a lot of what you class as flamboyant luxury players. We had John McGinley, who was a complete space cake, weren't it? Who, who could uh, who actually finished the leading goal scorer in the FA Cup that year. Um, but we had a lot of very hard-working, functional players because that was Brian's style. Mm. You know, Don't make mistakes, play percentages, you will get a chance to score a goal. And we won a lot of games by the odd goal, 1-0, 2-1. But we didn't concede too many. Um, yeah. In respect to Yeovil, I, I, to be honest, I've been away on holiday as well, so I've missed quite a bit. I know they've not made too many signings. Um, so it's probably a bit early in pre-season to start saying, what do you think? Um, but I'll try and watch a couple of the pre-season friendlies to get a feel for it. I have looked at Scunthorpe, by the way, who they play on the opening day of the season. And, um, I mean, they are in absolute free fall when yeah. you look at them. Mm. The only goalkeeper they've got, the only goalkeeper I can see registered on their website was born in 2005. Yeah. So, you know, so they are at the moment a team of kids with, I think, Liam Feeney is, I think, the only player over the age of about 21. Um, so I think they are going to be, they, they need to do something drastic. But, yeah, but I haven't seen too much of. What about? I mean, well, you'll know tomorrow, Paul, because you're obviously going to do the the Taunton uh, away yeah. game. Um, Tom yeah. Knowles is the one that uh, excites me because I think he's got an awful lot to offer the Oval Town. He's had a great season last year, didn't he? Mm. And um, I think that he he can take it another step further. I think that um, yeah, he he excites me as a player. 
He's, he's intelligent with the ball as well. He doesn't give it away too much. You know, and he gets in good areas of the pitch as well for, for to, to score goals. And um, yeah, I think that it, it, I certainly would love him to to have the type of season, uh, well, improve on on the, what a season he had last year for mm. sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, and um, I think that he he's got the the, the capabilities of doing that. Yeah, you know, I'd like to see a bit more out of Wakefield. Wakefield was, you know, exciting, but I want to see more from him. I want him to step up to the plate more. I want him to score more goals. You know, and um, I, I think that if he can gel this team together, because it's not easy to say, like, it's all right having the players, but it's going to take you time to gel them together and start winning games. And if they can keep clean sheets, to me, it's more important to keep clean sheets, you know, early doors, so that the confidence through the midfield and the wide men and the, and the strikers know that the, before they go out, we're going to be difficult to beat. And if, you're, if you feel... That that confidence in your ability as a team to defend well, I think that then, you know, the the ability to have the confidence to try things, to move the ball around quicker, will come through the team, and and I think that then we'll we'll see a a, a positive move, in and hopefully be up around the you know playoffs or even for me even better. Mm. Good. Well, that's well, right. Important money. Grant Smith will be important. Grant Smith, the keeper, will be important. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yes. from what I've heard, and I haven't seen that much of him, but people say he's probably up there in the best three or four in the league. And so oh, we talked about keeping clean sheets. Yeah. And I, and I honestly, for, for the best intentions, you know, and I'd love him to do really, really well, I just can't see him competing financially with some of the sides in the league. There's six or eight sides in there with massive budgets. So I think it is going to be a case of don't concede many goals, nick yeah. results. Yeah, get yourself in the mid table and then see how the season goes, and then maybe have a push after Christmas to see if you can, you know, you can get into those playoff places. But yeah, I think, like Paul said, it's going to be really important that you get some well drilled, well organised, and, and they they work harder than the other teams because I think they won't have the quality of some of the other sides in the league. Mm. Well, I mean, taking from last year, taking from last year, the actual like you know a move up forward to get in the playoffs. Mm. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, to get up there. Absolutely, absolutely. If we get in the playoffs this year. That's yeah. definitely a move forward, mm. you know, because like you said, it's, you know, at any level of football, it's generally proven that the, the more you spend, the more chance you've got of being successful yeah. because of the quality of play you can get, yeah. you know, and that's, uh, and that's, uh, that's really important. Now, if you can't do that, you know, and Yeovil can't do that at the moment, then you have to be really well drilled. And that's where, that's where um, Hawley, Brian Hall was so successful because, he not only had good players, I felt that he had, you know, good players, you know, um, that, that he had them really, really well drilled as well, you know, and, uh, you know, like our defensive record spoke for itself, but he had really good players, you know, that's Steve why, came down, sorry. That's why Chrissy Hargreaves was only talking about the mentality of players, because sometimes it can be quite boring, can't it? It's not sexy, you know, if you're playing just playing five sides every day in training, just having gap, it's fantastic. But when somebody wants to go in and do some real work on defensive shape and, you know, he wants you to move half a yard to your left and he wants to pull back to tuck around a bit more, so they've got to have a real good mentality to buy into that and to learn from it and, and to improve. And, yeah. and that, I think that's what you... Well, going back to, to the hot weather and that, just, just uh, my list of stories here that we're going to talk about, if we can get through some of them. Um, did you see in the paper today that uh, uh, Son... Uh, collapsed apparently because uh, Conte was was giving them such a a, a brutal 
pre-season they had to run and do all sorts and apparently he just collapsed with the heat did you see that no no i didn't No, but i'm not surprised hmm. you know it's um it's sometimes it's tough out there like and, and i'm not surprised i mean I, I occasionally used to throw up in uh pre-season training i remember one occasion at um newport where uh i had a terrible pre-season i was throwing up most of the time but my body just reacted differently to certain exercises and um you know, and I found things tough at times, and uh, it, it doesn't surprise me. Listen, you're going to get at the end of the day, we're human beings, and we've all got our uh, vulnerabilities, and you know the way our body moves differently. I mean, Steve was more of a bloody machine when he ran; I just couldn't believe he could keep going. But um, where I was different, you know, and uh, I needed need to build mine up a bit more. Maybe just because the size of my mus mus muscles, I don't know, taking more oxygen out of my body, where Steve would be it would be a lot easier for, for, for his body because of like weight and, you know, and uh, oxygen going to, to, to smaller muscles and then probably being more enhanced than what mine were. Mm. So I'm not surprised, but um, he's just, Conti's got to realise, he's a very, listen, he's a very demanding manager um, and he's going to expect a lot of, out of, the, of this uh, Tottenham team this year. Because he really wants to prove that he can, he can, he can win. I tell you now, he'll want to win the league, won't he, Steve? Yeah, yeah. With his mentality, yeah. he wants to win the league. Yeah. And if he doesn't, he'll feel the players going to let him down because yeah. he's that type of man. Yeah. I mean, like you said, people are people, aren't they? Footballers are human beings. I mean, people will make a fuss about always collapsed in training, but he might have picked up a bug of some sort and just yeah. not be himself, and nobody's, you know, he hasn't noticed it. Mm. But that yeah. battery of tests on him, he'll do all sorts of blood tests and. Oxygen tests when he, you know, he'll do all the oxygen saturation stuff and they'll check yeah. him and make sure he's perfectly fine before they let him back out on the field. So, yeah. you know, they've got everything going for them nowadays, modern footballers, everything. Raheem Sterling to Chelsea. What do you think of that? Yeah. 50 million. Uh, yeah, well, it's interesting that Man City have got rid of him and Jesus, isn't it? They're obviously looking to do something slightly different. Um, Chelsea are obviously looking to change slightly as well, but. Exactly how it's going to fit in, I'm not sure. Mm. If I'm honest. Well, I mean, I I, I, also, I've always felt he was he was money orientated, and I see it in the paper again. I mean, I, you know, you must rely on the media because we are always right with these sort of situations. But apparently, he's going to he's going to be on very good money, better than he was on with uh, with City, which is surprising, perhaps really. But I suppose Chelsea had to make some sort of a marquee sign in. To just to ring in the new owner and what he was doing for the club. I think I think the interesting one would be is that that Chelsea know what they're getting, mm. right? They know what he's getting, and and he's. Pr I, I I think so. Does, do well, they thought they knew what they were getting with Fernando Torres when they spent fifty million on Torres. They thought they knew what they were getting when they spent ninety-five million on Romelu Lukaku. Mm. They know yeah. what they might be getting. That's okay, the difference. You know what I mean? And that's Potential, that's the problem yeah. when you throw yeah. that sort of money around, isn't it? Like you say, it's all he's a London boy, isn't he? So he wants to go back to London, possibly, that maybe one reason. He feels he's a bit fringy now at uh, Man City because they've got Harland in and Grealish. So he probably feels like his time's getting a bit more limited and he's going to become more peripheral. And Chelsea have probably said to him, Look, you know, you'll start first week in, week out, because you're better than Verma and you're better than Hakim Ziyech and you're better than Christian Pulisic, so you'll you'll probably be in the starting eleven. And you'd hope that he's gone there because he thinks he's going to play and get more game time and improve. I yeah. think that I think that, I think I think the other one for me is the fact that he needed a fresh fresh start 
you know, he wasn't getting in the side as much. So for him now, this this is like a fresh start. You know, it's exciting for him, meet new players, new teammates, and um, a clean sheet to uh, get to, you know. What I meant by, by them sort of like knowing what they're going to get, they'll know his stats and they'll have looked yeah. at his stats. And, and from that point, they'll go in right. And also the manager says, I do fancy him. I've always liked him as a player. So in that respect, they know what they're getting. Absolutely never, never a guaranteed, is it? You know, it's never, no, no, no. never a guarantee. No. But I mean, no. I think on those things, they'll know roughly. But he's been, he's been a proven Premiership player. Well, I think he's yeah. second highest then in the stats at Man City for assists and goals yeah. since Guardiola took over, and probably highest number of appearances. Mm. Um, I think Chelsea's interesting this year because they've lost so many other defensive players. Um, they're on about Ziek leaving, Pulisic leaving, um, Lukaku's gone. Timo Werner's never really got going, has he, since he came over from Germany? So I think Chelsea's interesting. N'Golo Kante's not gone on the pre-season trip to America, um, which is a real surprise because Kante's been magnificent, but he's not gone on the trip to America. Um, Ruben Loftus-Cheek's not gone on the trip to America. So I think Chelsea are in a real transition phase. So it'll be interesting to see if they can be competitive or, like you said earlier, Paul, whether Tottenham leapfrog them and become one of those yeah. that are challenging for, for the Championship. Are you surprised yeah. that they've got rid of so many, Steve? Uh, well, obviously, there's all the repercussions about the Abramovich stuff, isn't there, and the ownership mm. and all that. But now yeah. this Todd Bowley fella's bought it, you'd think it would have settled down. But they've all come to a point, haven't they? Christiansen, Azpilicueta, Alonso, Rudiger. They've allowed them all to get to the same stage of their contracts, and they've all wanted out at the same stage because of the uncertainty. And it's, it's really left them short. I mean, they've got Thiago Silva, Reese James, who's a very good player and will get better, but he's not a centre-back. Um mm. So and they're talking about now signing Kalidou Koulibaly from from Napoli, and he was probably better two years ago than he is now. So, and they're talking about spending fifty million or sixty million on him. I think they might get pushed into a few panic buys, if I'm not to be honest. Mm. Um, and I don't think they'll be as competitive this year as they were last year. See, the thing about Loftus Cheek, Loftus Cheek actually, when he played towards the middle to end of last season, his performances were really. Excellent. Did well on you know, Kante, Yeah, yeah, Kante uh, as well. Like, I mean, yeah. you, you knew what you were going to get with him, and he's solid, and he's oh, you know, unbelievable, and his, his work ethic is is phenomenal. You know, and uh, yeah. when you sort of like, that's not what you want to be leaving the club. That's no, not. I mean, they might want to put, they might want to promote Conor Gallagher a bit more because he had a really good season on loan at Palace last year, didn't he? So they yeah. might and, and Swansea the season before that. So they might think that he's ready now, but he's not the same sort of player. No. Um, uh, yeah, okay, Loftus Cheek if he goes and Conor Gallagher comes in instead. But just think, there's so many changes right down the spine of the team. Um, Mendy's staying, but the other keeper's leaving, and he, uh, Ariza Balaga. Um, so it's, it's a massive, massive shake up. It's a big risk to yeah. make that many changes, I think, in, in one yeah. close, you know, one yeah, window. I'd, I'd agree with that. What about Jesus at Arsenal? I mean, impressive start, two goals in five minutes or something uh, in his first game for him. Who did they play? Jesus. Yeah, who did they play? Oh, I don't know. Boreham Wood or somebody like that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A top world team, that, isn't it? Scores two against Boreham Wood. Yeah. I, that, doesn't mean, that doesn't mean anything. I mean, again, once they hit the Premiership and you're up against the, 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 the defenders who really mean business, then we'll see. The one thing they've got to do, I mean, listen, when you play for Man City, you're getting you're getting chances because they create chances. You know, what Arsenal need to do 
is, is again stop letting silly goals and start creating creating more chances. And if they give him chances, listen, you know that he can score goals. Mm. You know, he's good. He's a very, very, very good Premiership footballer mm. who again has the potential to bring out good figures. Now, whether he does or not, as Steve has, has pointed out, and that's the important part. What they lack, don't they? They lack much steel. Yeah. yeah. Down the middle of the team, you know, Aaron Ramsdale's a very, very good goalkeeper. You know, yes. um, the centre the centre backs, you, you, I think the jury's still out on them. Defensive midfield players had Elneny, they had Guendouzi who's gone to Marseille, they've got Xhaka, yeah. uh, was it Torreira, the boy they had who, who went out on loan. You're looking at him, and Daniel Party, who they signed, who got injured straight away. You're looking at him, you think, you, you've got no soldiers in, in central midfield. You've got any ball winners or, or people that can go around and, and you know, enforcers. Do, do they need any more flamboyant, flair, you know, flicky players like Gabriel Jesus? I, I don't know. Hmm. Um, but I would have, he's got to get the balance right because he won't get another season after this, I don't think. No. Hmm. No. Well, let's pop over you to know, America they, they, now then. Everybody, everybody. Sorry, I was just going to say everybody like looks at these uh, the big signings being like uh, flamboyant, you know, strikers and wingers and attacking midfield players. What about your defence? Mm. It's so important. You know, your your, your person like Kante. I I said Arsenal sign him. Yeah. What's the player you're getting? Yeah. What's the player you're getting? And and he will work. His stats will be right up there, right up there with some of the best. You know, and then buy a big, big, you know, a real, really good mobile. See, like today, somebody like me would never get a chance anymore because I'm, I'm too big and too slow. I was too big and too slow back then, really, Steve. <laughs> but I had other, other other little attributes that I could, could contribute. You know, airily, I thought that, you know, I was really like good. You look like on Saturday night. Solid the <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Like, you, know, you know, but I... I, I you know, I could pretty much do a decent man-to-man marking job, especially with the likes of Tiblow yeah. that we used to have and, like yourself, you were pacey. Who, me? Mark I wasn't was pacey. There. I've he never been like, pacey, you know, Paul. Athlete, wasn't he, like, I've never been pacey. What are you talking about, me? <laughs> anyway, look, we, let's no, just go to America said, a minute because I wonder there's a couple, got of, you. couple of stories here in America. Um, first of all, Wayne Rooney going to D.C. Uh, what are they called? Yeah. D.C. Washington or whatever. Washington DC. Um, is that a good move? I mean, he's on bloody good money. United, DC United. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, DC United. What do you think? Yeah, good for him. He's played there. He's had to go managing at Derby. He's done all right. To be fair to him, um, and he played at DC United yeah. the season after, didn't he? So it will yeah. chance to build his pedigree a bit more, profile a bit more. He'll probably come back and get a top job in England in a couple of years' time. Do you reckon he'll yeah, yeah, um, really it, push on, but the money's a draw in it. Well, yeah, but I see his wife really? reportedly not possibly going. Like, is he some problems really? there? <laughs> Wayne Rooney really? let loose in, in Washington on his own. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> how much are they paying him? How much are they paying him? Oh, I don't know. A hell of a lot of money, that's for certain. Well, yeah. whatever they're paying him, he's probably got it down the back of the settee, any, to be honest. Yeah. So it ain't going to be about the money. No. I think. It, it's a it's a growing market, the American market. You know they're actually buying players from Europe now as well. Um, yeah, it's he's probably not going to get a top job in England at this moment in time, and it's a, probably not a bad way to go and enhance your CV. But, you know, people like Jesse Marsh went from 
they went they went from was it New York Red Bulls to um, Leeds Red Bull Leipzig and now he's back in Leeds. So it's now a route through. People recognise it as a decent league. Um, the crowds are huge now, much much better than they used to be. Um, so I don't think it's a bad move for him to be honest, and, and a chance to be out the spotlight slightly and, and develop his craft a bit more. He's well liked there, isn't he? So mm. you know, I think so. Yeah, he puts yeah. in the shift when he plays. Yeah. Fair, so he would never yeah. have cheated on. No, absolutely. The other story was uh, David Beckham's son, Romeo, scored a, a, a yeah. very good free kick against in, uh, against I don't know who it was now, but four into Miami anyway. I mean, uh, yeah. do you believe in you know chip off the old block and all that sort of thing, or is it just a pure <laughs> fit that he happens to be a, a reasonably half a decent player? I think it's wonderful when your dad owns a football club that he can give yeah. you a contract and you can go and play. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And no matter how good or bad you are, if you take enough free kicks, you'll stick one in the top corner eventually. Yeah. Don't know the kid. He might be a lovely kid. He might even be a half-decent footballer. But I'm surprised. I think Phil Neville's son also plays there, doesn't he? Mm. Mm. Yeah, Phil Neville's I not think... exactly set the world on fire, though, has he? Doing it as a manager. But... No. I mean, you know... I'm That's saying... Miami FC, aren't they? But they own... Was it? Yeah. But they own, they own it. It's a franchise club. Yeah. Yeah, but they're owned by this bloke... Um, what's his name? Uh, Lim is it? Somebody Lim, because he owns oh, it? he owns a bit of Sol uh, Salford City or whatever it is, as well. Oh, does he? Oh, yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. That, that, that's who own it. But we got we got five minutes. What else are we going to talk about? What about the European uh, uh, ladies uh, lionesses thing, which leaves me cold. I hasten big, to add. Big, big, big game tonight. You can't say things like that, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. Uh, listen, I just can't see women games. playing football. <laughs> oh well, you, 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 I, I thought the first game, the, the, the pace of the ball moving around was far too slow. Right? I think they could have like uh, pushed it a bit more. I think tonight for them is a really, really big game. Um, they need to up it again. Listen, it's small steps, but moving in the right direction. Um, I was really impressed. Uh, is, was it um, Bright's centre half? From Man City, I thought she had right. ex yeah, yeah, absolutely excellent uh, game. Uh, maybe that's a little bit of centre half union. Um, I thought that they they could have been a little bit more uh, clinical with their finishing, and I think they should have won by more goals. But they got to win. Uh, big game tonight, though. They really should really stamp their authority early, and um, I am looking forward to. The, I'm actually looking forward to the game. I think the, the Irish, I saw, saw a little bit of the Irish game earlier on, um, and I thought they worked really hard, but lacked a little bit of quality. Yeah. But it's stepping stones for them, and I think that they're, they're going to learn a lot from this. So this will be a really positive tournament for them. Yeah, I think the reality is you have to like look at it in its own context. You can't compare it with a men's game. Because no. I worked with the women's national side for two years in the early days when Hope Powell was in charge, and it's just a completely different spectacle. Yeah. And the reality is, you, you can you can watch the international now, the women's Europeans, and you can watch it, and they'll all look. You know, the England will play Nor uh, Norway tonight, isn't it? And that'll be a decent game in terms of women's football. But the reality is, if you took England women's team and played them against Taunton, Taunton would probably beat them. Mm. So the spectacle isn't the same as men's football, and people shouldn't go looking at it and comparing it to the men's game because it's just completely different. It's a it's yeah. a, an event in its own right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, I shall watch it tonight with, with those those comments stinging in my ears, Steve. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's, 
the, the reality is not for everybody, is it? I, I, I find I like sport played at the highest level. Um, you know, it would be like watching men try and play netball. Women play netball better than men. Yeah. You know, men play tennis better than women. They hit the ball faster, they hit it harder, they hit it more often. So that's the spectacle you're used to. So to try and compare England women with England's men is like, you know, comparing a Fiat Punto with a Rolls Royce. Mm. With all due respect, mm. I'm not being disrespectful to the women, it's a different product. Yeah. 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 And that product needs developing over the next yeah, 10 years. Yeah, it does. Yeah, you know, they're, they're at the early stage. Listen, America is, it was huge. You know, yeah. Brazil it was big. You know what I mean? But yeah, yeah. you know, we're 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 now producing, you know, like a, a, a league which is going to compare. Yeah. The monetary side of it is getting better. Massive. But that you know. still needs Massive. to be developed over the next ten years, and then you'll start. But it's never going to be the physicality is never going to yeah. be the same. Well, I had one just, game when hope wasn't there in Oslo against Norway. Yeah, Rachel yeah. Brown was in goal. She was only young. We lost eight nil, and Norway yeah. were European champions, I think, at the time. We lost three nil at Norwich in the home leg, and eight nil away in Oslo in the away leg. So I'm sure we'll be better than that tonight. Yeah. Well, on that point, gentlemen, I'm going to have to say thank you very <laughs> much for joining us because we're running out of time. Um, I shall try and watch it tonight, but I, I, I can't help it; it doesn't do much for me. But anyway, there you go. That's me. So. Uh, <laughs> You know. <laughs> I think it, I think I think technically uh, I've seen some really uh, really good stuff, um, you know, and it's um, they're making some chances. So it's a it'll be it'll be interesting. But yeah, it's a big game for them tonight. Big yeah. big game. Anyway, chaps, thank you very much for joining us again. As usual, totally rely on you, and you've done a super job. So thank you very much for that. And uh, to all our listeners, don't forget uh, we should be covering all of the Overtown. Uh, pre-season matches on Three Valleys Radio and uh, we're going to Taunton tomorrow because this is being recorded on a Monday and then I think we've got another one on the Thursday I think it is but uh, whatever they are we're going to do them so uh, keep tuned to Three Valleys Radio and thank you for listening to Football Bloody Hell Good night You've been listening to Football Bloody Hell. With Paul Thorpe, Steve Rutter and me, A.D. Hopper. Every Wednesday at 7 o'clock here on Three Valleys Radio.